This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome back to the show where every week we go exploring in the pursuit of awesome. You can count on us to keep you informed of all the best shiny things out there when we share our awesome of the week. In each episode, we also take your questions and bring you the answers you need to help you uncover all the awesome within your own life. I'm really excited about this week's show. As you know, every now and again, I bring a special guest co-host on the show. This week, I am so thrilled to introduce all of you to my very longtime dear friend, Dr. Kara Pence. Kara is a hometown friend of both Laura and myself. In fact, she is one of Laura's oldest and closest friends. And Kara was also my little brother's first little girl friend. <laughs> <laughs> I have had the joy of watching Kara grow from a cute and bubbly cheerleader into an inspiring, accomplished woman who is now a practicing general surgeon, a wife, and a mom of three. She has an incredibly fascinating story, and I wanted to bring you all some real-life examples of people living out an awesome approach to life. So Kara is joining us on the show today. We have so much we're going to dig into in just a few moments, but we're going to start first the way we always do with our awesome of the week. And Kara, I understand that you have brought something pretty rad to talk to us about. I have. I'm super excited to share this. First of all, the awesome of the weeks have just been life-changing for me. So many of them. I love um, it. L- least of all the bullet journal, let's be honest. So I realize <laughs> that I have a lot of pressure right now. And so I brought the best of the best, the awesome of the awesomest, geocaching. Geocaching. I am so excited you brought this to the show because you actually got my girls and I into this. So tell us all about it, especially for people who are newbies to the concept of geocaching like I was. I would love to hear your whole rundown on geocaching. So geocaching at first glance may seem a little nerdy, and that's okay. Totally I embrace okay. my inner nerd. <laughs> um, this is something that a friend of mine from church um, told me about, and it is an app that you stick on your phone. It's a free app. You just go to the app store, get in the name of the app is geocaching, and you download it. There's a free version, and there's also a $10 version. And the reason why I love it so much is be- it because it just totally – it 
fulfills all the requirements for a good family fun time. It's free. That's the most important thing. It's free. It is completely family friendly. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can either, you can even get your 90 year old grandmother involved, um, as I have. Um, it's super fun and it is for everyone. So any gender, any age, any, you know, family set, any, friend set can do it. And so you download the app and it's basically like what we call treasure hunting in the real world, right? So you go onto the app and you find a location near you. In my little town, there's actually over a hundred places. So you just click on the map um, and it pops up this little icon and you click on the icon and it basically gives you coordinates for a hidden treasure, basically. And so it is super fun. The things I love about it are it gets you outside. It gets you in your community. Um, We have found the coolest places right here at our fingertips that we never knew existed. We've lived in our town for about five years and have gone to the same Mexican restaurant a hundred million times. And it wasn't until we started geocaching that we knew that right behind the restaurant, this restaurant we go to all the time, is this beautiful park. It has this really romantic rock bridge and frisbee golf and just all kinds of stuff. And we found a cache. That's what they call them. We found a cache hidden there and you sign your name and we have a family team name and it's just, it's so fun, but it gets us out there. The kids absolutely love it. They can do it. Um, It's just, it's really, really, really fun. So I would highly recommend it for anyone there are some things you have to be aware of. Like you don't want to go in the middle of the forest in the summer because right. we were attacked by ticks. Um, oh, so that's not fun. But, no. Oh, what yeah, a bummer. So, yeah, but it's super fun. And we went on a family vacation not too long ago and we drove through southern Oklahoma and on into Texas down around Austin. And, you know, when the little ones get really, really cranky and restless in the car, mm, we yes. found the late, you, you know, the the nearest cache and everyone got out and looked for it. And it's just super fun. So I would totally recommend it. I love it. I love that part of it that you actually kind of, it sold it on for me and for my girls is that you get to discover parts of your city that you're not familiar with, or even rediscover things that you're so familiar with. One of the first caches that my girls and I found was in tucked into this little like um, pocket of, Uh, bushes right outside of a restaurant that we drive by all the time and have been to several times, but we never would have known there was this little treasure hidden in all those bushes. So, so fun. And it really does encourage you to just like kind of get out and explore things. So we have loved it. I have loved it. And I hope that everyone who gets on board loves it as well. It's really fun. So cool. Thank you so much for bringing that to the show, Kara. I know Um, you know, I have so many people who say, oh, this awesome of the week, I have started doing this, or I started reading that or watching this. And the co-hosts and I have talked about, sometimes it feels like a lot of pressure. Like what are we going to share? Because people like really listen and really take us up on these awesomes. So I know that anybody who has not already gotten on the geocaching train will love to check that out. So, okay. Well, my awesome of the week is something that I am almost a little bit embarrassed to talk about because I'm really late to the bandwagon on this. And that is the series, The Good Wife. Have you guys watched The Good Wife at all? 
in fact, a friend of mine yesterday was ranting about how good it was. So I wrote it down on one of my lists as something to start watching. I can't wait to hear your take on it. Okay. Well, I'm the same way. We, Kyle and I, we, I talk about this on the show all the time. We, we really just like to stream TV. We are not really good at watching shows live anymore. And we felt like we had watched almost everything that we could find between Netflix and Amazon Prime. And People for years have been, like you said, raving on and on about how good The Good Wife is. And I have to confess, I was really skeptical that network TV in this day and age could create a show that was really that good, right? Because all of right. the good stuff is like on AMC and FX and or on premium cable. Um, so I was super skeptical that a CBS show could be that good, I mean, honestly, but we started watching it a couple of weeks ago, and we are in. We are all in on The Good Wife. We are watching more episodes of this night. <laughs> You've been binging it? Totally I can't wait. It. Okay, the great thing is, if you are new to The Good Wife, there are six shows. We're watching on Amazon Prime. There are six seasons of it to to get into. So that makes for great binging material. The setup of the show, The Good Wife, if you are unfamiliar with the series the way I was, the setup is it stars Juliana Margulies, which many of us remember back from her ER glory days. And she's certainly Love been her. in yes, yeah, certainly been in many things since then. Well she's the lead. The show sort of revolves around her. She plays a character named Alicia Florick, who in the very first opening scenes of the show, she is one of those sort of the the politician's wife, the unfaithful cheating politician who's standing at the podium giving a press conference on how he's you know cheated on his wife and embarrassed his family, embarrassed the office, all of that stuff. So I mean that's it from the outset. That lays out where the plot, how the plot is going to unfold. And again, I was I knew that about the show and I was like, I mean, how many times can we go through a situation like this? How many different ways can you tell this story? Again, I was so skeptical. Mm -hmm. But what happens next is that a former boyfriend of hers from law school sort of takes her into his big corporate firm and they and she was an attorney uh, by education and she had but she hadn't practiced in a long time because she had children and so she just kind of goes right back into practicing law so it turns into both this legal procedural and that there's a case of the week which those are always actually really fascinating cases but then you have some really big overarching themes. So the early seasons really looks at the tension between she and her husband, who she, of course, is estranged from after all of his shenanigans. And then there is the tension with the long time ago um, ex-boyfriend. There's tension with her mother-in-law. She has kids who are teenagers. So there's these big, you know, life stories happening that are unfolding as the series plugs along. And I don't know, Kyle and I have really talked about, like, why, how can we possibly love this show this much? Because he's as into it as I am. The acting is phenomenal. The writing is really solid. It, it's so good that I, I, in one episode, sometimes I'll tear up because a, a case will be really moving. But also, it's, it's literally laugh out loud funny at times. Really? Um, it really is. The pacing is really good. I never find myself wanting to skim through my phone or anything like that. It's so engaging and so fun. And so a new season of the show starts up in October. It's going to be season seven, which again, in this day and age of television, that's a long running it's gotta series. It's got to be good. Yes. It's got to yes. be good. So there's plenty of time to catch up and get in on it if it's something that you um, have kind of wondered about. I'm like you. I've had people just like go on and on about how good it is. And 
as it turns out, it's actually really good, Kara. It's really good. You had me at law firm. I'm yes, telling you. Yes. I am fascinated by that. But I mean, how is it compared to Lost? Let's be honest. Your well, favorite show of all time. I know. I know. In fact, we just had people over for dinner last night and they were like, we just finished Lost. And I was like, how much time do we have? <laughs> Let's Clear the schedule. Yes. <laughs> um, Okay, so Lost, it's just a totally different genre, right? It's this fantasy sci-fi situation. I I have to say, in terms of engaging, hmm, it's it's right up there with Lost. Now, the difference being, of course, when you're watching Lost, there's lots of, like, little mysteries to figure out along the way. It's really, Lost is filled with a lot of suspense, right? That's what really drives the momentum of the show. Even in those later seasons when it kind of starts to unravel and you're like, where is this train headed? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The Good Wife, of course, because it's, I mean, it's based in like real life. It doesn't have that suspensefulness so much, but again, I keep using that word tension. Every episode by itself has a lot of tension, again, usually with the case of the week that's going on. But the relationship tensions and the way um, characters interact, it really does have that sort of pacing that while it's not outright suspense, it makes you want to hit play on the next episode. Mm-hmm. So I would say not since we binge watched Lost a few years ago, have we been this into the show to where we're like putting the kids in bed early at night so we can <laughs> fire it up. I find myself thinking about it during the day, thinking about the characters and what's going on. So I'm, I'm just, I add me to the list of raving fans for The Good Wife. Sure. Thank you so much for the rec. I can't wait to watch it. Yes. Sounds amazing. We're looking for a new show these days. Okay. So, well, I recommend it highly, highly. Okay, Kara, are you ready to sit down and be grilled on all of these things? <laughs> As ready as I'll ever be, I guess. Okay. Well, one thing that I love to do when we bring a guest on the show to give everybody a little bit of context about who you are and where these life stories that you're going to share, where you're coming from. I love to ask people to tell their five minute life story. So if you could just kind of give us the overview of your life to this point, your childhood, um, college, marriage, kids, school, all of that stuff. Just tell us the story of you, Kara. Sounds good. Um, (laughs) Well, I grew up, you know, like you said, in small town America, in a small town in Oklahoma, and really just had a wonderful childhood, really wonderful, supportive parents, a younger sister who is one of the funniest people that I know, and just a really, really good childhood with, you know, growing up with the same people your whole life and just really um, rooted in just those good small town values. And choices were always, I'm a very serious person and um, everything to me always just felt like it was just so important, like every decision, you know, I just had to make the right decision, right? So my first big moment in my life where I'm like, okay, I need to make a decision and this could influence the rest of my life, right? (laughs) So that was you know, where am I going to go to college? And most people where we um, went to school, as you know, Megan went to either OU or OSU. That's right. And so what did I do? I was going to go to Texas A&M. Oh, yes. interesting. I don't know if you know this I did story, not know that. Huh? I had a roommate in a dorm assignment and everything, but my um, uncle was on 
he he's an education guy. He's um, the president of Freed Hardman University right now. But um, at the time, he was in Oklahoma, and he said, Kara, just go look at Northeastern State University. And I was like, Northeastern what? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. Right. Yes, yes. And so anyway, I ended up going there with another friend from school to kind of look around. And I don't know, just something happened magical. I can't even say, I, I don't even know what it was, but I just fell in love with it there. And so I I canceled all my plans literally last minute and went to Northeastern. And the very first weekend there, I met my husband um, at church, actually. Um, there's a funny ping pong incident where I accidentally flashed him, literally, <laughs> like with the ping pong paddle. Um, so, of course, he was hooked from then on. Um, and yeah. we were actually really good friends. I know. It was so embarrassing. He loves to tell that story, especially at church, you know, especially, when people ask it. Yes. Um, but <laughs> we really did become just very good friends because we were both dating other people very seriously at that time and were committed to those relationships. And when, you know, as most high school relationships do peter out as you grow up, we became closer and closer over the, fir- the over our freshman year and we started dating our, our sophomore year and we dated all through college. And when we graduated, we married and then moved to medical school and really kind of the reason for that, I, I, my parents had always told me you could do whatever you want to do, um, be whoever you want to be. It's, you know, you're the only one holding yourself back, et cetera. They were really, really good examples for that and just really encouraged me to do whatever I wanted to do. But I was always, I really honestly wanted to be a missionary, um, but I didn't want that lifestyle forever, being away from home because home was important to me. So I decided that I would be a computer programmer like my dad. Hmm. Interesting. Let's just stop and pause for a minute. I am so not a computer programmer. First of all, just to turn the computer on sometimes is a little bit of a challenge. Um, So that's why we leave ours on constantly. But anyway, I, during my first semester, I took like computer programming 101 or whatever, and then chemistry, biology, a math course, and like, you know, an English course or whatever. And my very first semester when my chemistry professor said, you know, Kara, you're going to make an, a great doctor. And I was like, I'm going to be a computer programmer, silly. And he was like, you're going to make a great doctor. And I, and literally it was that moment, you know, there's some book out there. I, I wish I could remember what it was, but it's like the five defining moments of your life. Yes. Um, great book, by the way. I wish I could remember the name of it. But that was definitely one of mine because not that my parents had not told me and we had discussed, you know, things in the past, but that was really the first moment that I said, yes, I, that's what I want to do with my life. That and so amazing. because of that, I know teachers are amazing people. Yes. Um, and so I had him, that same teacher for a couple of years through different chemistry classes. And anyway, so I, we went to medical school and through also some other kind of odd uh, events that happened during medical school, I ended up, I decided that I would be a family practice doctor because I could work part-time as I, you know, began to have babies a little easier than some other specialties. And I could also do mission work a whole lot easier. And then I had my family practice rotation in medical school and I hated it. I absolutely, it just was not for me. It was just, I really, really respect family practice doctors. They, they do so much, so, so much. And I just felt like there were so many things that they had to master, right? I mean, from the earache to the, you know, 
whatever. I mean, it was just really, really overwhelming and a pretty thankless job at some time at, at points. And so after that, I thought, oh, no, I, I think I'm going to just have to drop out of medical school. Like this is this has changed everything. Very rotation was surgery, um, which I was scared to death of um, because, you know, Lord knows that surgeons aren't nice people and surgeons can't be women and surgeons, you know, fill in the blank. I'm sure everyone has their own feelings of that. So I go into it just planning on trying to, you know, get the best grade I can and just get out, right? The very first night I saw somebody that was stabbed in his heart and I was right there in the thick of things and the guy lived and survived and it was just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen and right then and there, I knew that's what I was supposed to do. And there were some challenges along the way. But um, the first time that I actually admitted out loud to my husband that I thought that's what I wanted to do, his his response was, huh, I've kind of always seen you as a surgeon. And oh, I was wow. like, thanks a lot. You could have told me when I was <laughs> balling over my family practice, you know, plan going awry. But after that, it was sweet relief, as they say. And we have been married now 14 years, and we have three beautiful children. Um, Ethan is seven, and Wiley is um, five, and then our little baby, Elizabeth, is three. So she's my curly-headed diva. And <laughs> Every family um, has just, to have one. <laughs> yeah, it's a great it's it's amazing. So anyway, sorry if that was more than five minutes. No, but that's perfect. That's wonderful. I love that you got to experience that. You know, way back early, one of my very first guests to bring on the show is my friend Lee Kramer. She came to talk about the Enneagram and she talked about that jar click feeling of when you're just you're trying to twist the lid of a jar on and you just it won't line up right and it's really frustrating, but then all of a sudden you just get it, everything just lines up and it clicks. How fortunate to have a jar click moment over such a monumental moment in your life of, you know, am I going to drop out of medical school? And then the next week you're like, oh, but wait, this is what I was meant to be doing the whole time. So I love that. Is that is literally how it was, literally how it was. So yeah, it. that speaks to me a lot. And I I do feel very blessed to to have that passion and that just almost, you know, sense of of complete and utter peace about what I'm doing that I know that that's what I'm supposed to do. So, so it is a, a huge blessing. That is fantastic. Well, we asked in the Facebook community, the Sorta Awesome Facebook community, if you ever want to find us on there, it's growing daily. We have so many great discussions in there. You can go to facebook.com slash group slash Sorta Awesome Hangout and find our Facebook community. I shared with the community on there that Kara was going to be coming on the show and asked if anybody had any questions. So I do have, we're going to kind of sprinkle those questions in here. And then I just have some questions for Kara as well. So I wanted to start with this question from our Hangout member, Sarah. And she says, I know a lot of times that people assume I have to work when in fact I want to work in a field I trained hard for, am challenged by, and where I genuinely feel like I'm able to be salt and light, which for people who are not part of the Christian faith tradition, part of Jesus's teachings for his followers was this concept of being salt and light to the earth, basically to stand out amongst the people around you and to point people into the direction of God the Father. So back to Sarah's question, she says, curious to hear how Kara has wrestled with this, especially where more traditional gender expectations exist, for example, within most churches, 
and whether she ever feels guilt about all of this. So guilt about choosing to work as opposed to needing to work for your family's financial security, making the choice to work. And so I kind of want to break that question down a little bit, Kara, because I know you come from a pretty conservative theological background. You grew up in the Church of Christ, which Church of Christ means a lot of different things in different parts of the country, different parts of the world. Where Kara and I come from, it's generally considered to be a pretty conservative church where people follow pretty standard conventional gender roles. So when you were growing up in the church— what opinions uh, did you grow up with regarding women and careers? And, and were those opinions different from your family's opinions about women and working and, and those kinds of things? I know that's a lot to unpack, so I'm just going to turn you loose on that and just share whatever comes to your mind about that, and we'll clarify as needed. Okay. Yeah, that is a, it's a huge question. And, you know, I will say that the um, answer to that has changed over the years with, you know, healthy eyes looking back on it, I realized how fortunate I was that my parents were extremely verbal with me and allowed me, I'm such a verbal processor and allowed me to just talk through issues with them about, you know, my own feelings of what does it mean to be a mom? Um, I had a great example at for my mother, she was a stay-at-home mom. She did work intermittently at a bank throughout my life and, and did some schooling um, to get her teacher's certificate. So, but she was always, always, always telling me, I can still hear her voice ringing in my ear, that it is so important, Kara, for you to be able to take care of yourself. God forbid something ever happens to your spouse or, you know, you don't ever find someone to, to spend your life with or whatever. Because I do think she had this fear that my dad, who was uh, the provider for our family, would not be there for her someday because of illness or, or whatever. And so she impressed that upon me. And then my dad was always just, my dad's super, super laid back, but just very much more of the, like, just letting me do the talking and just kind of, he never, ever told me what he thought I should do, what I needed to do, what was best to do. It was, well, tell me your thoughts about that. So anyway, my yes, my parents' idea was somewhat different than the idea that I got from my faith community. Now, there were lots of really amazing individual people that spoke into my life in a way that allowed me to feel confident about my decisions, but there were also so many people saying things either to my mother that my mother would then tell me, you know, um, maybe she shouldn't have, but just <laughs> different different people saying different things about, you know, how they felt about it. And I And I think looking back on that, I know that everyone had good intentions, if you will, but one of my goals for 2015, um, one of my personal goals is to listen, listen, listen. And how that applies to this situation is I think when people try to insert their opinions into it, number one, maybe they really do have something super important that that may change your opinion about it. So listen. Um, But also they're coming from their own worldview, their own family circumstance, and they have these opinions for a reason. And so I don't know. I, I, I have dealt with guilt about it. um, But I can just tell you, it's kind of like you were talking about that aha moment for me that when I was trying so hard to make things fit into how I thought God or my family or my faith community thought it needed to be, the harder it was to make it work. I mean, it just, nothing worked out. And I was like, God, why is this not working? Why am I not, 
you know, but, but when I finally like quit fighting it and just let things happen, um, it was just such a beautiful, sweet relief, like I said earlier. And so, you know, currently the guilt rests in, am I choosing work over my family or is it more of a calling? And how do I help my children? My husband is super, super laid back. And so he, he is, and he's very independent. That's the other thing. So he doesn't require a lot of explanation or, I mean, he just trusts that what I'm doing is what I need to be doing because we have this relationship that allows us to be like that with each other. But for my children who are looking at me saying, mommy, do you have to go to work again or whatever? The ways that I've kind of reconciled that with them and um, tried to help them see into what I'm doing, I've done several things for that. Number one, I take my kids to work any chance I that I can. Now, no, I can't, you know, put them in a papoose and, and operate on people. <laughs> um, but we do nightly, like try to pray for the people in the hospital. I tell them, you know, there are sick people. We go to the hospital to see them and go up into their hospital rooms and tell them that we're thinking about them. We make drawings or whatever to kind of let them see that this, this is where mommy is. You know, mommy is here and, and there's the sick person and they need somebody to help take care of them. And that has really more than anything, I think, helped with the mommy guilt because when they say, mommy, we'll miss you, but we know, I mean, my oldest for sure has said more times than I can remember, we know that you're needed where you're going, but oh, we'll sure right. miss you. Yes. And so, you know, that's really helpful. Yes, <laughs> um, definitely. And then, so anyway, I, I, there are other things like that. I, I try to tell them what I'm doing exactly. I mean, you know, sparing the blood and guts part of it, but um, tell them stories that there are people that in someday maybe they may need somebody, etc. So, and then I also involve my coworkers a lot in my kids' lives and our families are enmeshed, if you will, so that, you know, my partners who are having to work just as much as I am when I'm not when I'm having to go to work, I say, well, you know, your Uncle Randy or your Uncle John or your Uncle Jared, they covered for me last weekend so that we could go to the park and play. And now it's their turn to be with their kids and there are sick people and they need to be taken care of. And so that has helped a lot with the mommy guilt. So I do think, you know, to answer Sarah's question, yes, it. I think it's totally normal to feel pulled um, in multiple directions and, and feel guilt towards you know, this responsibility you have for these amazing little people that you're trying to raise to be healthy, responsible adults. But that's some ways that I've dealt with it. So that is so wonderful. Did that answer the question? Um, yeah, I think that that is a fantastic answer for Sierra's question. I think that's a really, those are really great concrete examples of how you can navigate that um, sort of tension between work life and home life. Um, to go back to the church question and the faith tradition question, Again, coming from a conservative church background, I'm super curious if as you were growing up and, you know, after you began to share with people in your faith community that you were going to medical school and then you were going to become a surgeon, did you get some pushback from people in your congregation with, well, you know, if you're going to be a wife and mom, then you need to think about this? Or was there more, I mean, was there some specific pushback or was it more of just a kind of general approach from the the faith tradition that you're part of? There was some specific pushback. Um, Even to this day, there are, you know, certain people that um, 
voice their concerns um, <laughs> regarding, you know, the time that I may or may not be spending with my kids. And especially, I, we haven't really gotten into this, but my husband is a stay-at-home dad. And so that even more complicates the traditional gender role situation. But yeah, I mean, I had people say things like, well, I guess if you're going to be a doctor, you could probably make it work, but definitely don't be a surgeon. And then I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm going to do. And then, you know, <laughs> uh, many examples of things like that. And then, you know, they kind of stumble on themselves and it's a little embarrassing. But, you know, I think I've just I've always, like I said, have been such a verbal processor and I do very much care what other people think and how other people think. And so in a way that was helpful because I was able to say, oh my word, Susie Church, how, you know, let's, why, why do you think that way? Is it something that I really need to know or understand or let me help you explain that I feel like if I wasn't going to, if I weren't going to make this decision, that it would be wrong. Um, And then having that dialogue and, and being able to have that dialogue with um, adults and people I respected in my faith community was was huge. And I think, you know, there there were some times that we had to say, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree, and I, I hope that you'll pray for me, and, and I'll continue to try to listen um, to my heart about what I should be doing about this, because, you know, no decision is permanent. And that's one thing that my parents taught me. If, it, if I get into doing surgery or, or being a physician or, or whatever your career is, if you get in it, even if you just feel like it's right. If at any point that it, it feels very, very wrong, you're not married to that decision. I mean, you can always change your mind. You can get a different job or, or whatever. And so, yeah, I, I definitely had some pushback, but that's how I dealt with it. Thank you for sharing that. I That has me wondering, I want to talk about your husband being a stay-at-home parent here in just a moment, but that also has me wondering, we've talked about pushback in your faith community. What about in the medical community? Because as you mentioned, one of your own preconceived ideas, I suppose, about the discipline of surgery is that it's not usually where you find women. As you were going through schooling and in your early years of practice, did you get some specific or even unspoken pushback in the medical community for being a woman pursuing general surgery? I don't think there's a woman in medicine, especially in surgery, that hasn't heard this line. Why do we even take women in this program? Because we know that they're all going to quit someday when they start having babies. Wow. In 2015, like in the time that you were in medical school, these are things that are still overtly being expressed. Yes. Um, Thankfully, there are enough people that do not buy into that and have seen really good examples of really, really good physicians that happen to be women and surgeons that happen to be women. There's a huge movement right now, um, women in surgery um, through the American College of Surgeons. There's a Facebook group right now that a, a surgeon friend of mine invited me to recently called I Look Like a Surgeon. And when different women are, you know, posting pictures of them with their children or them in the operating room or them breastfeeding or them out on bicycles or, you know, whatever um, with the hashtag I Look Like a Surgeon. And That's so awesome. I do me think, chills. I love it. I know. It's it's pretty fantastic. So there are some more, but I mean, I one of one of my favorite mentors that I had was 
was this man who definitely, we call it growing up um, whenever you're going through your surgery residency and training, but, you know, he definitely grew up in the old school way, but he was so open and wonderful and encouraging. And so I think I had just enough grace put into my life to help me get through those times. And then, you know, so many of my colleagues um, who were growing up with me at the same time, um, helped me, but it, it was still very hard. I mean, I had two children in residency, um, one at the very, very end. And it was, it was extremely, I had some health concerns because, you know, you're working a ton with my first child. I had preeclampsia and with my second child, I had premature labor and he was in the neonatal intensive care unit for, uh, you know, not long, but long enough to make me really question like, wow, did I make the right decision to have a child during residency? But Hey, you're you're of childbearing age only a certain <laughs> amount of time and it just happens to coincide with when you need to be doing your training and so what what what's a girl to do you just do the best you can and you know there there is no 3 month maternity leave for that right. i mean yes. you know you can take a few weeks and and hope that you can survive it and you know but thankfully i had a lot of uh, like I said, um, spousal support and parental support and community support that the naysayers learned to be pretty quiet pretty soon. You know, had a lot of big brothers, as I say, in in residency that just really supported me in every way possible. And so for that, I'm very, very thankful. But it is it is not easy. It is for sure not easy, but it's doable. Um, it's, it is doable. If I can do it, anybody can do it. So I don't want any women out there uh, thinking they can't or shouldn't. Uh, but yeah, it's not, it's not easy. Thank you for sharing those um, examples. Again, that's just so stunning to me that here we are into the 2000s. And these are still things that women in, in that field, and gosh, I'm sure there are women um, in a variety of disciplines that could share their own stories of having to overcome within their own discipline, overcome some uh, negative expectations for women in their work. Another area, as you touched on just a few minutes ago, another area that you and your husband both are sort of defying the expectations when it comes to uh, having a family and family life and what that should look like and what that does look like is the fact that your husband is a stay-at-home parent. And we have a question from our sort of awesome community from Tiffany, who had a really specific question about that. She wanted to ask Kara, she said, with our upcoming move, my husband is going to be a stay-at-home dad for at least a month or two. I find I'm really struggling with the idea of him being home with the kids while I leave for work. And she notes that previously they both had worked outside the home. She says, I'm one part jealous of him, two parts anxious about how he's going to do, and one part struggling with the societal gender role stuff that says he should be working and I should be at home, even though we personally don't subscribe to that philosophy. She said she's also excited for him to have this special time with their kids. She wonders, Kara, how did you guys adjust to the idea of your husband staying at home with your kids? Did you go through struggles of jealousy did you experience gender role struggles? How long has he been a stay-at-home parent? How many children did you have when he became a stay-at-home dad? And how long did it take for you to get into a routine where he felt great about it? And how can I best support my husband during this transition? So that's a lot to unpack about being a stay-at-home dad, your, your husband's choice to do that. So I'm just going to back up and let you tell the story of how this unfolded for your family. And then if you have any tips or 
examples of how to make it more workable for families that I would, I know we would love to hear that as well. Yeah, I thought Tiffany's question was really good. First of all, on behalf of my husband, I would like to tell you guys what he calls himself. Okay. He does not call himself a stay-at-home dad. Okay. He is trying to coin the phrase house spouse. So (laughs) it's it's so my husband to do that. He's like, I'm a house spouse. So anyway, um, he – so when we moved to our new – town. I moved here for the job. He was actually commuting an hour every day back and forth to work because the job he ended up with during my residency, really exciting job where he was traveling all over the world. Um, I mean, he went to um, South Korea and um, Singapore and Italy and all these wonderful places um, doing this very rare specific job. I, I don't even know how to explain what he was doing. Um, actually. So he worked for this manufacturing company that made this machine that was like the size of a football field. Um, The machine had to be transported across the ocean and then he, and then put back together. And then he would go wherever it was sold and make sure it was put together properly, that it functioned properly and that the customer was happy. Oh, wow. So really exciting, fun job. And so of course, when we moved to tiny town America, he could not find anything even remotely similar or remotely the same pay. And so he decided to commute and that did not last very long because it was very hard. My schedule is extremely sporadic and uh, we did not have any family in town at the time. And so it just became too hard. And so he looked and looked and looked for another job, could not find anything that, that seemed to fit his passion, if you will. And so he made the decision, and that is an important point. He made the decision, which I supported for him to stay at home. And at the time we had Ethan, he was two and a half, and then Wiley was actually two months old. And so, yeah, I did struggle a little bit with, oh, it's it's not fair that you're getting to be with the baby or whatever. But also, that was that was quickly overcome with how grateful I was that I had him watching my kids instead of a stranger or even a dear friend, you know, um, because it just it felt different to me to be able to have my husband, my partner, who I trusted with my life to be able to watch our children. Um, and, you know, it we did plan on it being a short term thing. And then five years later, here he is with three now. So he's had Elizabeth at home by himself since she was three weeks old which, you know, yes, I only took three weeks off with Elizabeth. It still breaks my heart. I'd still have a lot of regret about that. He's had her since she was three weeks old by himself. And then the boys, uh, Wiley, basically his whole life. And then Ethan, since he was two and a half. So the cool thing about our community is there are actually several stay-at-home dads that he is friends with. I'm sorry, house spouses that he is friends with. (laughs) And um, so that's been good. He has kind of a little mini community there. Um, I, the things I try to do to support him are just really basically have frequent family meetings. Are you still okay with this? You know, this is your decision. You can change it anytime. We do not need this. This is, you know, if you want to be at home with our kids, then you can. And, and he's continued to choose that for now. Um, but I do try to give him frequent timeouts and golf outings and, you know, whatever he needs to feel, you know, to get that energy back. He... The the good thing about it is he is a glass half full kind of guy and he sees all the wonderful things he's able to do because he is a stay-at-home dad. He does a lot of volunteering, especially at our church. Um, he goes to something he he 
uh, calls the old man Bible study, which it's literally like, you know, all the retired guys and then him. Oh my gosh, I love it. He goes to, yeah, <laughs> and he loves it because he learned so much and he has grown so much because of that. He has a little golf day a week kind of deal. Um, but it is hard when some of the guys at church or guys in our community will be like, man, that must be so easy. I wish I had that job. When little do they know, as all moms in America know, it is so far from easy. I mean, so many days I I get the call, just like I know so many of our friends make that it's 430. I don't care that you're not done with work. I need you to come home now because I'm going to strangle our children, you know? Um, And so just, I, I think... Yes, I think it's normal to feel guilt. It's normal to be a little jealous, but the trade-off has been such a blessing. And, you know, our plan is just to stay in constant communication about it. And when he wants to go back to work, he will be fully supported by me to go back to work. But for now, this is where he feels that he needs to be. And I support that and I'm very grateful for it. I do, I think, I don't so much have guilt or jealousy towards our kids. I have a lot of guilt because I feel bad for him when he doesn't need me to feel bad for him. Like I said, he's made the decision. So sometimes I feel as if I need to come home, do six loads of laundry, make dinner, you know, get everyone out of the house, um, clean the whole house, you know, whatever, whatever those things are to take some pressure off of him, which I'm happy to do. But he doesn't need that. He's happy. And I need to try to take my feelings of what I feel like I should have been doing if I were staying at home and and make it more of a time when I get home at night for us all to unwind together instead of feeling like um, that guilt. So I guess that's my advice for Tiffany is do what you can to help him out, but also just treat him like you would want to be treated if the roles were reversed. I know that sounds trite, but I don't know. That's That's been what's worked for us. I One thing that I hear you saying in that, and I just happen to know that both of you all know that you're extroverts. So I hear um, your husband's uh, kind of recover, energy recovery time being going and going golfing, going to the Old Man Bible study. And I think that that is really helpful for any couple, regardless of who's at home with kids or who's working or if you're both working, whatever. I, that's another reason I know I'm always talking about Myers-Briggs and understanding <laughs> you and your spouse or you and your friends, or just whatever those relationships are. So I hear you saying, you know, I make sure that he gets out of the house and hangs out with his friends and is at church doing things that he wants to do. And all those are ways that he can recover that energy. So I think that that probably plays a big role too, for any couple trying to navigate who's going to be home with the kids, who's going to be working, all of those. I would highly recommend Myers-Briggs for anybody. I'm so thankful to you, Megan, for showing me this because I'm an ESFJ, as you know, we've talked about that quite a bit, but, and he's an ESFP. And just us knowing that about each other has I can't even believe how much it's helped us communicate, helped me understand where he's coming from better, helped us give each other what we need. We also did the love language. We also did the Enneagram. So all of those things have been super, super helpful for us to be able to have a healthy relationship and open communication. So yeah, that's huge. I love it. Okay. Well, there is one more kind of deep question that I wanted to talk to you about, and it's going to go back to this uh, faith community that you're part of, a denomination 
denomination that you've been part of since you were a kid. I wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that you're part of a traditionally theologically conservative denomination, but your own local church that you're active in now has taken some really bold steps towards engaging the things that are going on in our current culture in some really big ways. I would love if you have a few minutes to tell us a little bit more about what that looks like. What does it look like to come from a traditionally conservative tradition and really be able to speak to what's going on in the culture in a way that is um, not your stereotypical church approach to culture? So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and I'm very proud of the things that I've been hearing at my church, Um, but I will say, you know, as with any church, it's a work in progress. And I know that there are a bunch of people who are trying so hard to wrestle with the scripture. And that's, that is one important part about our, my faith background is because we kind of pride ourselves in being scripture based and everything has to be based off, you know, not that other churches aren't, but it's almost like that has been idolized so much in the past. So Things that our church has been doing for the past couple of summers, there have been um, panel discussions on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights instead of just their traditional, you know, somebody gets up and speaks or gives a devotional or, or reads some scripture. And the panel discussions have ranged from, you know, small business owners, how to be, uh, you know, how to maintain your faith in, in small business or whatever. But um, some of the most moving to me have been a panel discussion that they had about infertility and letting people lay their hearts open and just, we have struggled with infertility and we have, you know, this is our path that we've been on. And instead of, well, how, whatever your preconceived notion that the scripture says about that issue, it's no, we're here to listen. We are here to listen to these people, wipe up their tears, ha- be a shoulder and, and say nothing, say nothing. It's not question and answer time. It's you tell me your story. I want to know you and I want to love you and I want to understand where you are coming from based on your experience. So, you know, another big, huge one was um, they talked about how to, uh, how do we show love to the gay community in this day and age? Not what does the scripture say about, you know, homosexuality? What, you know, what is our theological view about it? It was not that at all. It was, we had a gay man. We had a sister of a gay man. We had a best friend of a gay woman and a school counselor whose job was to listen to kids, you know, struggling with this. And it was literally just, they told their stories of what worked, what showed them love and what didn't work and what drove people away. And that was it. And what an eye-opening experience because it puts the people back into the to the issue oh, instead of just yeah. taking the people out of the issue. What a beautiful, wonderful thing for for us to do. We traditionally are not ones to give a testimony, right? If you will. Yes, uh-huh. not to use Christianese, but you know, w- ours is more like you know, stand up and read the scripture that says why you shouldn't do it, not. I struggle with this. And so, you know, how freeing for everyone in the audience to be able to say, oh, my friend who I respect, who I think is an amazing person struggles with this too. This is somebody I can talk to and work through this, you know, and and live life with. And so there's a really amazing movement um, called Celebrate Recovery. I don't know if you've heard of this, Megan, but uh it's, it's an amazing, you know, thing that our church supports to 
It's where you bring your hangups and habits. And, you know, it could be anything from I have a dear friend that goes because she struggles with feeling like she has to be in control all the time. And it leads to a lot of uh, conflict in her marriage and, and in her relationships to alcoholism and just a way that we we can all come together and say, you know, I struggle with an eating addiction or I struggle with being rude to my partner for no reason or whatever, big or small. It's all, we're all just people. And so a couple more things, we do have a book club where we talk about very controversial things and, and just have a safe place to talk and can also bring people in from the out who maybe, you know, don't feel comfortable going to an actual church um, building. And, and we we do all kinds of books. No, no Christian books, honestly. This weekend, actually coming up, we're doing something called Laundry Love. A dear friend of mine's husband, Fancy Val from the Vault, for those of you in the Voxer group. Um, <laughs> uh, that's her Voxer name. Fancy Val from the Vault's husband really felt let, led to go be in a spot where people are hurting. And what better place than a laundromat? And so we're going to take a bunch of money and laundry soap and, and, and just be with people and watch their kids so they can fold their clothes or give them a cup of coffee just to, just to let them know that we do care and we want relationship with people. It's not, you know, we're not trying to get them into our church building. We're trying to meet them where they're at. There are, there are a bunch of different people. We had, this, this could go on forever, Megan. I'm almost done. Um, recently, we had an African-American senator from Oklahoma named Anastasia Pittman. She's amazing. She came and spoke at our church along with um, a gentleman who is working for the Choctaw Nation. And it's all in response to the racial tension in in our world right now. And their whole point was to come and say, it's real. Right. Because there's yeah. a lot of people that just don't get it. Right. Me included. And which is another reason why I love Go Set a Watchman, because we're all there. Right. I mean, we have had, we need our eyes open. Talked about that at our church about how we are people that have prejudices based on our family of origin or, you know, where we grew up. And it's so important to just listen. Just listen to people's stories. And her story was incredible. And his story was incredible. And that was literally our entire church service. We did not talk scripture. We did not talk Bible. I mean, we talked about how God is working in our world. But we mainly talked about listen to people. Don't just turn people off because you don't understand. What an amazing... I just... It was just such an amazing thing. And such a good lesson for me, um, especially in my career, because I see all kinds of crazy things I bet. Um, yes. that I have to kind of keep the straight face and say, I'm sorry, you, you did what? Or you, you know, put what in your, anyway. Um, and so, you know, to be able to learn even more about how to be a better listener helps me be a better person and helps me love people better. Um, That's incredible. That's incredible. I think that that is why there's such a powerful story movement or revolution going on. Because like you said, it, it is when you hear somebody telling their story, their experience, like you said, it personalizes the issue. It's not this abstract thing anymore. It's concrete and it's sitting in front of you and they are pouring their heart out. And how can you not help but to be moved? Even if your opinion about a particular topic doesn't 
you know, change, or if you feel like, well, that was great to hear that story, but I still believe this way. But you, it's so, it becomes so personal that it's like, you can't even speak about it in the same way anymore. So exactly, exactly. That's awesome. I love it. I love that not only are you a person who has the courage to push back against some of the expectations in your faith community, in your, in your career field, but also that you have found that you guys, your family has found this church that's doing the same thing instead of just like, let's just circle the wagons and let's just keep saying the same things we've always said. And we just got to hold tight to this white knuckle it. And no, your, your church, it sounds like is taking advantage of this time where all of these things are changing in our culture to say, let's be real about this. Let's talk it out and let's hear from people what it's really like to experience these things. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's been pretty amazing. You know, the call to love is much stronger than the call to be right. Yes, um, you yes. know, and it's something we all struggle with. We want to stand by truth with a capital T, but man, it, it is a hard, it's, there's so many hard issues out there, but that's the main thing. Do we have a, a safe place where we can talk about it? Right. Or are we just told, no, this is what we're sticking with and you can't talk about it. Right. Especially for a verbal processor like me, I need to be able to talk out, okay, I met a man in clinic that has all, all, uh, genitalia. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that, <laughs> you probably need to cut this out, but <laughs> no, you go know, for it. Go for they it. may have a penis and a vagina. That does not fit into a, a box, a really nice box. Right. That has been a struggle for me, you know, having to reconcile what I was taught growing up and and what one in a thousand people are born with. Anyway. No, I mean. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. So it, it, it I does. think we have to, like, fall back on the listen. Fall back on the listen. Listen to God. Listen listen to the Holy Spirit, listen to all of those things, and listen to people. Yes. 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 So true. So true. That's so good, Kara. Thank you so much for sharing all of those things. I wanted to end on one last question. Again, a throwback to some of our earlier shows, because I just am nosy, and I just love to ask people this. I would love to hear you talk about what is the one thing you are always talking about? Okay. Well, recently, it's escape rooms. What? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I oh. know. I can't wait to tell you. Okay, I think I this do know what it is. This may be another awesome of a week. I know. Um, it's like a bonus awesome of the week here at the end of the show. Okay, give us a quick rundown on what, what an escape so room is. My husband and I recently went on our 14-year wedding anniversary trip, and um, we were just looking for fun things to do, and there is a thing um, there called an escape room, and it's literally like this room where you get locked in and you have to figure out different puzzles in order to escape the room. And um, there's one in your area, Megan, so you need to go do it. Um, I don't know. I feel a little claustrophobic. For those true crime junkies, this is it, guys. Uh, Make a beeline to your nearest escape room. I've been telling everybody about it. It's good for team building, for offices. Um, My husband and I had so much fun. There were two different rooms in the one we went to on our anniversary, so we went two different days because we could not quit talking about it but you basically get locked in a room they're big rooms and actually the ones that we were in had like multiple compartments so you just figure out different clues in the room it's kind of like you're the detective and you have to figure out how to get out of the room total fun date night make a beeline for the escape room oh my goodness so fun okay well we have covered so much on the show today and I know that 
there are going to be lots of conversations coming from hearing your story, Kara, and all of these just really courageous and awesome ways that you are living out some really great truth in your life. So if you would like to find us to talk about the show, don't forget that you can always find me on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can join us in our Facebook group. Like I said, the Sorta Awesome Hangout on Facebook. Don't forget the show also has an Instagram account now. We are on Instagram as Sorta Awesome Show. So yeah, and I know Kara is in the Hangout group and she would love to um, answer any follow-up questions that you all might have. So look for her in there as well. So thank you again, Kara. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Well, I'm so thankful that you took the time. I know you're busy, busy lady. Took the time to come and share all of this with us. So thanks for joining us today at Sorta Awesome. Show notes for this and every episode are available at sortaawesomemegan.tumblr.com. While you're there, click on the Ask Us link to submit your questions for an upcoming episode. You can also sign up for the show's newsletter, which includes extra tidbits of awesome by going to tinyletter.com slash sorta awesome. If you're enjoying the show, it would be so totally awesome if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I have to give a shout out to the band Prager for allowing us to use the song Strut for our in and out music. To find out more about Prager's nasty beats and pretty chords, go to pragermusic.com. And I'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all of the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.